Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on June 16, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. Before we get started this evening, I'd like to mention that we are soliciting direct feedback from you, our listening audience, regarding this podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics to cover, or if you know of anyone that you feel we should be talking with on this podcast, please let us know. We can be reached via email at podcast at thealliancepartycom Again, that's podcast at thealliancepartycom Also, we have a Twitter feed at Alliance on Air. Again, that's at Alliance on Air. And this evening, we're talking with Larry Stanley, who is running for the State House 8th District in the beautiful state of Washington. Larry grew up in Richland, Washington, and has been a preacher, a teacher, entrepreneur, and leader of an international not-for-profit. He currently is a tasting room manager at Hamilton Cellars on Red Mountain in Washington State. Larry received a MS in Business Leadership from Capella University and a BA in Biblical Languages from Life Pacific College. When he's not running a winery, you can find him playing guitar, hanging with family, reading a book, volunteering as a, as a Washington State chair, and staying current on all things politics. He was a member of the Modern Whig Party since 2010, and he is dedicated to helping the Alliance Party grow in members and influence. Larry will be a new kind of politician, a term-limited, transparent public servant who puts state and country before party or special interests, and solutions before ideology. Larry, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to chat with you this evening. Well, thank you. So I uh, I understand you're running uh, as a representative for District 8, Position 2, they call it. And um, this yeah. is the first time I've come across something like this, an actual position. It's a bit cute and confusing for me. So uh, <laughs> could you kind of walk me through or walk us through uh, what is meant by Position 1 or Position 2 when it comes to state representatives in the state of Washington? Yeah, so uh, Washington, unlike um, most states, um, they you know there's the congressional districts um, for the for the federal uh, lines drawn, um, but then for seats in Congress, um, but then there is um, they they uh, draw the lines uh, even smaller into legislative districts. Now a lot of states have that, mm-hmm. um, but they so they break them down even further. But uh, instead of each one having, you know, one representative, um, they go by population, just like the Congress. Mm-hmm. So you have a certain amount. And so there's some districts that are sparse enough populated where they only have one. Mm-hmm. Then there's other districts and they have also they have a state senator, too. Okay. Um, so there's state there's two. There's a bicameral um, um legislature in in olympia our mm-hmm. capital um so there's the state senate and there's the state house mm-hmm. and uh so the state senate every single one has one uh representative mm-hmm. okay for this first senator one senator um yeah. but for for representative there are at least one and in some of them that are higher population they have two or three wow I think I think Seattle might even have four, and then their area. Hmm. Um, but uh, because of the dense density of the population, right? So so our area is not real highly populated, 
mm-hmm. but it is a pretty small geographic and and and, and uh, we have three medium-sized cities mm-hmm. and uh, for this area and it's um, they are um, it's it, I guess in relation to the rest of the districts it warranted two positions yeah. for a representative but now these positions they overlay each other right they're they cover the exact well, same so territory yeah exactly exactly so there's two Republican incumbents um, and I could have chose to run against um, um, the, the position one mm-hmm. or position two uh, position two one for the first time is, is he's only he's an incumbent for only two for one term for mm-hmm. two years okay. where the other guy had been in for decades uh, okay so I uh, decided to roll the dice more on the newbie mm-hmm. than the then the, incumbent, the, uh, yeah. the guy who's yeah firmly ingrained in the machine, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, which is interesting because the Democrat who decided to run mm-hmm. chose to go against the long-term guy. Wow! And and yeah. position one, and did not, and there was no Democrat that chose to run on uh, position two. Huh. So maybe you scared him just, off or something. Um, you know, maybe I, I did. I did apply the. There, there was a. There was five days where you could, um, where you could file, mm-hmm. and I filed on the second day, but it doesn't show up till the third day. So, uh-huh. um, especially during COVID, they didn't. You know, they couldn't keep up with the right. the uh, administrative end of it. But um, so it did. You know, um, so about halfway through, they knew I was in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would. I would think. I would think a Dem would have jumped in anyways if they were interested. Yeah. So there's just not enough. There's not enough uh, Dems in this area that I think uh, are uh, are driven to try it because they lose most of the time. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that shortly, but I just want to make sure that we. Um... That we understand this because this is almost like um, we, we've had conversations with Fair Vote before. We talked about this thing called multi-winner district, and I mm-hmm. it may not have been designed that way from the beginning, but essentially that's what it is. You have basically a district where you have two people actually that could be from the same party, they could be from different parties, and um, they. They uh, it gives the people, I think, a big advantage there is it gives the voter a um, ability to actually have more representation or at least have more influence over who gets to represent them by having basically two people that over yeah. each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. huh. that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, so how does the primary system work? Because now when you put your name into this, uh, when you registered for position two, uh, mm-hmm. let's say there were like 10 people that did the same things. So now you're running against, you know, nine other people. So there's this primary that takes place on Which August 4th. Which is possible because, mm-hmm. because the congressional, um, like for the U.S. Congress, mm-hmm. um, the um, District 4, which is what my legislative district is, in for the congressional district for u.s congressional they district? do have mm-hmm. like they do have like nine people running okay so for those larger 
larger uh, positions, a lot of a lot more people jump in. It's like yeah. the president. There's thousands of people running for president, but you, you don't ever see uh, any of them. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. They don't ever break through <laughs> the surface. Well, exactly. It, but in that case, though, isn't there like a uh, like a an elimination round, like in August fourth, or for lack yeah. of better term? Yeah. So there, yes, August fourth is our primary. Now, the presidential primary has already happened in a presidential year, mm-hmm. but uh, um, there is uh, for all the other positions, um, whether they be um, national or 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 statewide or local. Um, the the primary is August fourth, and mm-hmm. that is to whittle everybody down to two uh, uh, two candidates. Okay. So, so then, by the time uh, November it, it, f- comes around, it's just two yeah, candidates. Yeah, like California. Then. It's like it's just like California, where it's kind of a jungle primary. It's everyone out for themselves. There's uh, um, there could be. Ten Republicans going, you know, and there could mm-hmm. be one Democrat, and there could be one Alliance Party, and one and five independents, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and the winners. It could be two Republican winners, mm-hmm. or it could be one independent and one Dem. You know, it's yeah. just yeah. yeah, and 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 more often than not, the final two in this area mm-hmm. tends to be Republican. Yeah, we have a uh, and let's get into that a little bit. There, you're district um is is heavily republican I, I looked at some of the stats on ballotpedia and yep. saw that um it's 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 heavily republican um and so is that one of the reddest of the of the whole uh, state and which is interesting given what i uh, mentioned to the other uh uh a little while ago about uh um the city of richland being so highly educated mm-hmm. yeah yeah, the demographic there is is uh, we were talking a little bit before the show here. Uh, you said the most uh, PhDs per capita are in Richland, so they're a fairly highly educated group of people. And yet, That's this, right. okay, yeah, and it's a fairly uh, heavy Republican. So, what type of Republicans are these? Are if, if you if I may have you sort of break this down for us, is it uh, are these like classic Republicans or are they um, you know the 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 um, the, the Trump uh, wing of the Republican Party, or most well, okay. So most of them would be would consider themselves um, conservative, uh, fiscally conservative, mm-hmm. and and socially moderate. Okay. Now, except for the religious, the 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 the, uh, the Christian right. So those are the two main fact. Uh, um, Republicans in this area that I'm that I'm aware of is mm. is the uh, the more the mainly fiscally conservative Republicans and then the religious conservative Republicans mm-hmm. and, and those are the two main pa- power bases. Okay, um, and they ha- and the religious ones tend to be and the fiscal ones to some extent tend to be in the outer lying areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, both kind of suburbia slash uh, rural mm-hmm. farmers, um, and it's so you got that whole rugged individualism. You got the bring, you know, pull yourselves up with your bootstraps, and yeah. everybody's on the take on the dole. You know mm-hmm. that mindset there, um, and then 
And then you got this little dot of blue intellectuals <laughs> in the middle. Who <laughs> who just shake their heads going, what is going on here? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. they all they all turned to Trump. And, yeah. and just like most of the, the Republican base, majority of them switched to Trump. And it was was not because they liked him. Mm-hmm. For the you know most of the ones I talked with, some of them were were enchanted by him, mm-hmm. and they these some of these folks were like small business folks that were enchanted by him. Mm-hmm. But most of them, if they paid attention, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing is is a, 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 a lot of the people that vote Republican, um, they're they're you know and both sides, but, but you know it, there, there's a there's a lot of uninformed because they don't want to listen to the crazy media. Right. So they're, they're uninformed. Um, or the little bites that they, they, they get are, are from the propaganda machines mm-hmm. and most around here follow Fox, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they get that, you know, that part of that, you know, the propaganda machine. Right. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of, you know, um, so when Trump came along, it was more of we're tired of the BS on both sides. Right. Um, but we're red, so we're going to go with whoever's red. But out of that bunch, who basically gives the finger to the establishment? Right. Well, Trump does, right? right? Yeah. And that was why they voted for him. Then when he ran away with the primary, they're like, yes, he's our champion. Now, now let's give the finger to to the to the institutional right. Dems too. Right. You know the establishment the, Dems, the and they did yeah. because who mm-hmm. who who um um you know what what candidate on on, on the um, on the left would would most um represent the establishment? No, you would, know, of yeah. course Clinton, right. right? Hillary Clinton, right? So that was a no brainer. So yeah, that, but the interesting thing is, nationally, it does not matter how this 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 uh, this uh, these districts go, because like for president, our electoral always goes for the for blue because our population centers are on the west side of the state where it's mainly Democrat. Yeah, yeah, Seattle, that area. It's very yeah, yeah very yeah. liberal over there. Yeah. So. So, um, um, so, which is interesting, it creates frustration over here. Yeah. Because they, they don't, they don't feel like they get a, a say. The state legislature, yes, they send a bunch of Republicans from this area, but they're in the minority almost all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so they feel like they can never get, so, so often every, every, every couple of years, um, one of the Republicans, Sends in a or, or, or submits a bill to a committee um, trying to uh, uh, put up for a proposition for Eastern Washington to secede oh. from Washington huh. and become the 51st state. They do this every just like Northern California does that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They do the same thing with Eastern Washington. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, that's well. I mean, it, 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 
you you get disenfranchised, right? I mean, if you're in that area there exactly. and you're Republican, you feel disenfranchised. Yeah. So yeah, that that I mean, it makes sense, right? So yeah, um, and so that's that's I would say the, is one of the main reasons why they went for Trump. Now this time around, I would say fifteen to twenty percent of of those that voted for Trump this mm-hmm. time around, they they want another choice because they realize. Uh, Trump was not a good good suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was not a good choice. Well, you know, and yet they're uh, not sold yet on the blues either. Well, that's uh, perhaps that's where the Alliance Party and and other um, so called third parties uh, <laughs> can step into the fray and, and make a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we're, we're dealing with some you know pretty heavy concepts on the national stage these days. You know the. the the trade war with China could must have hurt a lot of the agricultural. I, I know I'm, I'm in Missouri right now, and I know it hurt us pretty severely out in the agricultural areas. Um, you know, a third of our soybean crop was you know sold mm-hmm. to China. So you know this this sort of withered away. Uh, I know you guys didn't, but in Missouri here we had some record flooding going on too. So this is a, and we got oh, the yeah. and then the triple whammy of yeah, this whole thing. Fortunately, we don't have the the flooding issue as you as you guys in Iowa and a lot of those in the Midwest oh, yeah. had. Was, but we, yeah. uh, we, but but because of our proximity mm-hmm. um, to China, they were a huge customer of our agriculture. Yeah, especially our fruit. Yeah, well, um, yeah. our cherries. Our cherries go to Japan, Taiwan, mm-hmm. and Korea, and uh, and China, and um, uh, they're not buying. Yeah, so. Well, that, um, you know, and and that along with, uh, well, the the COVID-19 thing that so totally yeah. disrupted the food supply chain. Uh, so mm-hmm. that has been a real, a real, um, a real bad thing. And, and, and just speaking, getting back to the, to the Trump, you know, we've had this sort of, sort of roller coaster relationship with North Korea, uh, the impeachment and everything. I mean, it. It, it's um, to me. It seems like that would have an effect, even on the staunch Republicans in your area. They would be taking a second look at this and saying, "Well, you know, maybe we bit off more than we could chew." Or, or how does uh, you said there's yeah, like the ones the ones that I that I think uh, you know tolerate the propaganda machines and stay informed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they they're fed up, um, especially if it directly affects them. Um, but everybody else that doesn't feel directly, um, you know, they can't seem to point, draw a, a, a direct line between Trump's actions and, and, and what's happening in their life. Mm-hmm. If they can't draw that line and, and they voted for him the first time, he's still their man. Yeah. And they're still with him, but they're not, they're, they're, they're growing less and less happy. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I I don't know how you could ignore, um, and and I'm speaking more from the agricultural uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could ignore some of these things that are going on and and, and not be affected by it. Uh, perhaps those you yeah. know PhDs in Richland uh, don't feel it directly, but um, uh, there's a lot of people in our territory out here that are really hurting. So I can't imagine it'd be much better for the agricultural industry in your areas as, as yeah, well. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Although, although we're you know a little bit insulated because the west you know the the um, coastal states here on the west coast have pretty strong economies mm-hmm. going into all this mess, 
and and they they uh, independently of the national, they all three of them really clamped down on COVID early, mm-hmm. um, uh, and because they had some of the first first people that they tested, you know, yeah, and um, so they clamped down on early, um, and we're still in in the first phase. We're we're still shut down over here. Yeah. Uh, we're are uh, we're one of three counties that are. Uh, you know, and the, it were some of the first to shut down. So we've been, you know, kind of the longest, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet, and yet, um, while it's really hurt, mm-hmm. these the economy, this economy here, and especially the agriculture, I think there's also a lot of inner trade between Canada, Washington, Oregon, and California. Mm-hmm. And California, because of their water issues, mm-hmm. um, a lot of their their customers come to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're so, in the uh, Columbia River Valley there, so your uh, water is yeah, not we an don't, issue. We don't have water. We have, yeah, we don't have any water issues. Our water table's fine. Mm-hmm. Even if we go through a few years of drought, we're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, California, they go through seven years of drought, and then a couple years are good, then seven years of drought, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and their water table is decimated. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I lived uh, many years in the Los Angeles area in Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, we were always uh, tuning into the news when it came to talking about the uh, snowpack in northern part of California, because that's what drove yeah. the water that went into the aqueducts that came to uh, the L.A. area there. So it's, uh, yeah. Well, it, that and, and, and the, uh, what, what you don't pay much attention to down there, which you should, is a good chunk of the water comes from the Colorado uh, aqueduct. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And and yet that that's you know now becoming a uh, a it's drying uh, up. Uh, yeah, it's drying up because not enough snowpack is happening in the Rockies there either. Yeah, there's a lot of people so, pulling water off that river too before it even gets down. I mean, exactly. It's just a exactly. It's just like an eyedropper you've full of water. You've got Colorado itself. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got uh, little southern Utah. Mm-hmm. You've got Arizona. And then you've got Las Vegas, which is, and then you know then, then there's the California uh, or the, the aqueduct going from um, from that river before it hits Mexico um, over to L.A. And so by the time it actually hits Mexico, it's literally a a uh, a dribble of water. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say it's like an eyedropper full of water by the time it gets to yeah. the end down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty sad. So, um, so I was going to talk a little bit about the, the COVID, but I, I think you pretty much covered that. Is is that um, is uh, what I'm trying to say here is a lot of people on the Republican side of the aisle uh, tend to devalue uh, you know, the mitigation that's being done for COVID or, or, or yes. I should say disease mitigation techniques, like, you know, wearing masks and things like that is, mm-hmm. is that becoming an issue there? I, I know it is somewhat of an issue here, although it's, 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 it is an issue here. Yeah. Um, because, uh, uh, most of the blues, um, are wearing masks around all the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the reds are not. Hmm. And, and, um, and, you know, there was a period there where there was that, you know, in Michigan, those, you know, Take back our, our 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 state and and give us our jobs back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they they would come march at the cap capital and 
and and and and uh, Lansing there, and with the with the guns and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, uh, that happened here too. Wow. Um, at the just sort of small local level. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they they came and and uh, brought their guns, and yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I yeah. Don't, yeah, it's to me you're you're, you're conflating um, uh, virus mitigation with freedom. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I it was a podcast a few uh, weeks ago. I made this comment; uh, it was somewhat controversial, but I, I said I could fix this, I could cure this virus in three weeks. And and of course, the question is, how would you do that? And it said, well, put everybody in a cardboard box, right, and keep yep. them isolated. And you know, in three weeks, the thing will burn itself out. You know, but that's you know, right. It, wearing masks is a variation of that, and it really slows down the mm-hmm. spread of the virus and, and can cause it to burn out. But you know, if you start conflating freedom with it, then um, then people go around without masks, and uh, it sort of becomes yep. a self fulfilling prophecy that this thing will keep rolling into the future. So it's it's yeah. a bit frustrating. Once the, yeah. once the weather got good, mm-hmm. most of the Reds got out, and and uh, instead of just jogged in the park they wanted to go out and hang out together yeah. so they went and do things you know and went into groups and yeah you know there was there was a local uh restaurant in in, in uh, richland south richland that that uh uh decided to uh have a big party oh and yeah. uh um you know they got threatened they're going to get fined if they try to do that again mm-hmm. but it was it was horrible because you know there was lots of uh, passing around of the virus yeah. that happened there. Well, so share and share alike, I guess, right? So it's yeah, tragic. Yeah. But then, then it gets to your elderly. I mean, we have we have several uh, old folks home. What do you go nursing? Yeah, nursing centers. This is a kind of a also a little bit of a retirement community. A lot of people that that retire from the west side from Seattle. And they want their dollar to go a little further, but they don't want to leave the state to go down south. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, to Arizona or whatever, or, or to another country, they decide to retire over here because it's drier, right? It's mm-hmm. warmer. Mm-hmm. So they come over here. So we have quite a few of those mm-hmm. nursing homes and stuff. And, uh, and of course, once it hits one of those, it's all over. You know, yeah. that, that whole, you know. Spreads like a brush fire. Night, huh? You know. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the odds of them surviving are so slim. Where most of us can survive it fine, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, old age turns out to be a pre-existing condition. Ah, uh, yes, yes, it does. So, um, one other thing too is is it we're we're by I think I just talk all evening this way, but um. One other thing I want to talk about is the uh, there's been this huge cultural shift uh, recently in the wake of you know the police killings of George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and Breonna Taylor and, Taylor and so many others. Um, is this influencing your campaign at all? I, I know you come from a, a smaller area. You're not from the big, real, yeah. real big metro areas, but it's got to have some influence. Or yeah, in our demographics, we do not have a huge population of African-Americans, mm-hmm. um, or, I mean, we do have, you know, um, a concentration of, of Asians and uh, both South Asians and East Asians, uh, but those are mainly the uh, um, uh, the higher educated mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, agricultural workers 
where mm-hmm. we have a huge population. Most of them are over in Pasco, though, or up near Yakima. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily as much in our, in in in, in you know in my de- district here, mm-hmm. but there is still quite a few, and they and it does influence the whole area. Well, um, I, even if people are not you know directly affected by it, um, it's got to be mm-hmm. a talking issue, right? Because it is it's a cultural well, shift is. for the whole for the whole nation. We have we have had uh, BLM uh, uh, marching happening here. Uh, there may not be very many. African Americans participating, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of allies that are mm-hmm. participating, you know, yeah. uh, from other groups or or uh, from Caucasian, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't like calling them whites because yeah. that's just kind of, yeah. Yeah. you know, <laughs> we're Caucasian, we're not white. <laughs> yeah. We turn all different colors when we get sick or uh, when we get cold. Yeah, or exactly. <laughs> we're more like pinkish. <laughs> So uh, that is that having an influence on your campaign, though, because like I say, the the issue really is it comes down to cultural shifts and uh, a very rapid cultural shift. I mean, we've seen. I, I was in L.A. during during the Rodney King riots, and you know, and mm-hmm. and it was it was disappointing to me, of course, that that there were that there were riots, but uh, long term, the disappointment to me was that it did not result in lasting change right and change, this yeah, time it, yeah. it feels different this time uh it feels it more does. positive i i don't know if, you know if there 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 is rumblings of change mm-hmm. whether it'll actually happen or not i still don't know and i'm not real confident mm-hmm. but i think there is there there's definitely more oomph behind uh the the both the protesting the coverage the uh, the 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 pressure on the lawmakers um, to do something, mm-hmm. pressure on the on the city halls and on the um, on the police departments. Um, there, there's, I mean, there's a lot more pressure out there than ever before. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Probably as much or more so since the '60s. So, mm-hmm. and that's the last time there was super, you know, significant change. You know. Yeah. And and so uh, I think it's it's ripe. I don't think it would have happened if it wasn't for COVID happening at the same time, yeah. and and the economic crisis happening at the same time. Yeah. And you have a third of the population sitting at home, going, you know, watching watching TV, not believing their eyes. You know yeah. what's going on. Um, and then and then say, well, hey, I want to speak out too. And then they they go down to their local area and. And March as well. So mm-hmm. you get people, especially the young people, yeah. you know, that's, you know, you go to most of these marches and it's mainly young people are out there yeah. Yeah. and they're, and they're passionate, you know, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're sick and tired of all these mm-hmm. old people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, r- running our, 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 uh, society mm-hmm. like, like it was 1950, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of change can be good. Yeah, yeah. The question is, what do they change to? Yeah, that's <laughs> you know that's the scary part, and I think that's what uh, you know people get afraid. You know that when every time a culture changes, people get scared, and and uh, you know they they start doubling the, down. There's the backlash. There's yeah. the fear factor in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, uh, you know, many would say 
some of the voters, uh, some of the votes cast for Trump uh, in 16 was in a, in a fear backlash mm-hmm. to eight years of an African-American president. You know? Yeah. Wow. It, the, the slogan was make America great again. So that was really yeah, hearkening exactly. back to earlier times. Yeah. And yet there are some great elements to back in those days, but there's a lot of things you don't want to go back to. Yeah. That, uh, I think you always got to go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You always got to move forward. You, you can't go back. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let me see. I had a couple of other questions for you. Um, um, Getting back more to the local area, you now have a, a campaign running, uh, 8th District of Washington State. And uh, mm-hmm. just uh, um, FYI, everybody, we're talking to Larry Stanley, who's running for the state house position uh, of the 8th District in the beautiful state of Washington. Um, what uh, what are you doing for your campaign in terms of, like, uh, getting Facebook pages up and uh, um um, I guess web pages, blogs, and so on. Is there anything? Well, I've that... got my web. I've got my website up. It's mm-hmm. uh, stanleyforwashington.com, but it's barely up. I still need to get my issue pages up, uh, mm-hmm. get uh, get my positions down. Um, okay. I've you know I've got a few policies that I want to uh, finish uh, polishing up, and uh, uh, in fact, one that's not necessarily you know, it's I don't know how popular it is in, in the rest of the Alliance Party, but I'm actually going to end up championing what I call an evergreen dividend, which is in our state, uh, the, our state's called the evergreen state. Mm-hmm. So um, the evergreen dividend is going to be kind of a take on on UBI. Um, yeah, universal yeah. basic income. Yeah, universal basic income. Only 500 a month because... It's that's a pretty big uh, thing to to try to to try to fund, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so uh, uh, plus, I see it as more of a of a supplemental to a potential national uh, UBI in the in the distant future. Yeah. Um, because I can't uh, just like the guys in Silicon Valley, I cannot imagine our society going more than a couple more decades without having to have a, mm-hmm. you know, a type of UBI because um, AI, you know, artificial intelligence and, 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 and uh, automation on mm-hmm. so many levels, um, it's going to be hard for, um, it's going to be hard to keep up. It's going to be hard for our economy yeah. To create enough jobs, other new type of jobs, to fill the gap of all of these these uh, jobs that will be shedding. Yeah. So it's uh, it'll be near impossible to keep up. Like the previous industrial revolutions, we've been able to, relatively speaking, it's been painful. But when we make the sh- switch, eventually give us another decade and we catch up, right? Yeah. Um, and transition everybody. Now it's getting to the, it's the speed is is too too much yeah and and the and the numbers are too great um, so so um, we need a cushion and we need something to us uh, kind of a not just a safety net but a a reliable safety net to where um, 
you can actually, someone who's not into being entrepreneurial mm-hmm. could feel comfortable with jumping out there and starting a business. Yeah. You know? Well, a- another part of that, another aspect of that would be um, universal health care. What, what is your approach on that or what exactly. is your opinion about and that? So I, I agree. Universal health care is a, is a must in the future. Mm-hmm. We've got to work out the bugs and, and we don't want to pay what we're paying now um, as the government. We don't want to do that. No, we got no. to find a way to make, to, to squeeze out as much of the, of the, uh, the middleman as possible and, and bring costs under control before we fully bring it under underneath single payer. I definitely want a, a solid public option. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not all the bells and whistles, but you can't add on to it. No. Um, but, but something that's, that's relatively bare bones, um, and can compete very effectively against private insurance. Yeah. Yeah. The current system. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so you would put that on the exchange with the, all the Obama, Obamacare stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it, eventually it'll, um, at least on the insurance level, um, co- competitively using the market against the private insurers, mm-hmm. bring them down into more of an economic uh, common sense. Yeah. And then not just insurance then, there's a lot of other areas where we've got to bring the cost down, like the, like the pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to be a, a negotiation, um, and so we have to have government involved with that. Yeah. Um, there's also um, the hospitals, um, the way they bill, and the way it's the whole the way the whole fee structure is. I think is is wrong. Mm-hmm. We are we are charging for tasks for for it's it's a fee fee for service rather than. Um, outcome based. It should be the the the, uh, the uh, charge should be outcome based instead of getting nicked on every single f- uh, uh, service. So so you you want the person to get better. Mm-hmm. So um, but if you're trying to to make money, you're going to add an extra scan in there. You're going to add an extra something else in there. Um, because the uh, you need to pump up the the service, right? Yeah. So that just inflates the cost, and you do a little bit of that in in, a, in each in every other case, and that just bloats the whole system, right? Yeah. So um, so there, there's the way the fee structure is. Um, also, we need to shift more to preventative medicine rather than everything being emergency focused. Mm-hmm. So, so if we could get more, more um, inter- interaction between the medical services or the primary doctors um, outside of the hospitals with the patients, and 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 uh, and have um, ways of uh, incentivizing mm-hmm. more preventative uh, measures, then you're. Uh, you know, we're going to save a lot of money along the way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. I just want to uh, plug one of our previous podcasts. We had uh, Dr. Octor, uh, Dr. 
Oscar Lovelace on the show oh, yeah. uh, February 9th. He's a, he's uh, actually the chair of South Carolina as well. But um, he talked a lot about uh, hospital fees, and he's uh, he uh, he said that's one of the big issues. You know, he's he's trying to run a uh, a rural clinic out in the uh, in in South Carolina, and um, wow, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge, I and bet. it's a very interesting show to listen to. I mean, listen to what his take is, and listen to you know his. Uh, uh, arguments about uh, healthcare uh, very much line up with your own. There, it's it's uh, something that definitely has to be addressed. There are a lot of problem areas. Uh, you know, and you mentioned uh, pharmaceutical prices. Uh, there's one thing that that uh, a lot of people don't realize. I think they're starting to realize at this point is that a lot of our pharmaceuticals are manufactured and depend on guess what, China <laughs> and India, right? And we have, you know, we have a president that's going around poking sticks at, you know, China and, and, and stirring up the hornet's nest there. And, and and perhaps for good reasons, too. I mean, I, in some of these issues, I, I, I actually uh, uh, agree with what he's doing. But on the other hand, you know, we're we're sort of stuck in a way with our pharmaceuticals being manufactured overseas. We're really dependent on having good relationships with these countries. Uh, some would consider it a national, national security threat, too. Yeah, yeah. Not not having at least a, another source, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've, I used to work in aerospace many years ago. We always had to have um, everything had to be built in the U.S. and we always had to have a second source, you know, for all mm-hmm. of our military hardware. I understand that's not the case anymore, but no, that's coming uh, out the window. Yeah, yeah, for money, <laughs> for money, exactly. <laughs> but I, yeah, we kind of need to get back to that. I think in some of the critical areas of our healthcare. So yeah, yeah, not in everything because we're such a global. Society, but but um, in some of the more critical areas, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Just to uh, to recap here, um, StanleyForWashington.com is going to be, or is your website? It still needs some work, yep. you say, but uh, that's something that people can yeah, start to tune still, in. You can donate right now, but you can't read much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, is that Larry? I mean, is that Stanley for S F O R or the number four? It's F-O-R. F-O-R, yeah. okay. StanleyForWashington.com. And no hyphens, no underscores or anything? No, nope. no. Nope. Right. Okay, good. Well, um, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, uh, wrap it up? No, I think I'm in uh, – I think I've said most of my piece. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Well, we got the uh, we got the, the very good conversation. Me, oh, yeah. And th- thank you very much. We've been uh, we've been talking with uh, Larry Stanley, who's running for the eighth district of the state of Washington. And uh, thank you for dropping by and talking with us this evening, Larry. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. 
If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.